Hello and welcome to the Remarkable Lives podcast. Over the course of this series, I'll be interviewing some of the most extraordinary people alive today and finding out what makes them tick. So who's my guest this week? Gary Ellis wasn't just a professional footballer, he was an icon. Over a playing career which lasted 30 years, he became known for his tough tackling, his groundbreaking hairstyles and his behind-the-scenes playboy antics. Gary Ellis, welcome to the show. Now, it's funny that you should mention hairstyles because one of the one of the craziest that I ever... Can you just say hello for this bit? Gary Ellis, welcome to the show. Hello. Gary, when did you know you had a talent for football? Were you better than the other kids growing up? I, I wasn't really, but that's partly because I never played the game. I just used to watch. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I had no no interest in getting involved. You know, I just liked to watch and, and commentate. And and I think what it was was almost that I was like being a pundit, but instead of doing that at the end of my career, I was doing it at the oh, start. I see, right. So I would actually commentate on games in the playground. I'd be running after the lads, you know, pretending I was holding a microphone. Yeah. Um, saying, oh, look, it's Wilson and he's passed uh, Michael Pears mm. and he's, he's laid it through to Tom Keating. And I would actually make them to, to considerable annoyance, recreate things that just happened. Almost as though it was a replay. An action replay, sure. Yeah, and, and I got in a lot of trouble, really. Not just with the boys, but they actually started complaining to the teachers, yeah. saying, you know, we're just trying to have a game of football here. Mm. And he's spoiling it by talking. So when I eventually started to play football, it was from the position of, although I was only eight or nine, mm. really, I, I had become a a 55-year-old former player. Of the mm. game, which I'm not even 55 now. So you had more experience had and knew what you were doing. Considerable, yeah. considerable advantage, yeah. uh, tactical advantage. And um, really, you know, then there was no stopping me. So then you moved from schoolboy football and you joined the Man United Academy from yes. an early age. Yes. What did you learn there? Was it? It was a lot to take in. I, I felt I really, really had to um, up my game. Mm. And uh, really, one of the things that Manchester United brought to my game was, I, you know, as, a, as I've said before, I think I was quite good at reading the game. Mm. But what they really taught me uh, at United is it's not what's happening now as you're playing. Mm. It's what's going to happen in the future. And at first, that, that really was like someone had, had come in and, and flicked a big a big light on. So I would see a pass before it was made. Mm. Um, so I'd run onto it, score a goal. Brilliant. Mm. I got too good at this. Okay. I would start to see what was going to happen five minutes in the future. And that was very problematic. You know, I'm back defending a corner that's... It's not yet happened. Right. You know, I remember a youth game where 15 minutes in, I'm predicting a counter-attack in the 88th minute, you know, them trying to equalise. Yeah. That's not happened. People said, what are you doing? But by the end of that, I was reading the game so well yeah. that I was, you know, sort of seeing in uh, 2053 uh, Manchester Megatron taking on Liverpool uh, robot factory workers. You know, that's that's a game in the far future. And, and that's when actually they, they, they said, look, you've got to go and, and rest for three months mm. and just think about what you've done. You didn't actually make many appearances for Manchester United though, did you? Only a few League Cup Yeah, only only minutes. a few games. Was that hard to take? Yeah, it was quite hard to take. I mean, I made quite a few appearances for um, Manchester United B team yeah. or MUBs, but as I like to say to people, you know, if you take the, the, the B off, still played for Manchester United, haven't I, really? So, um... Mm, in a in a way, yeah. yeah. Well, let's just let's just say I have. So okay. I definitely did, definitely, definitely did play for Manchester United B um, team. 
B team, but you know, I've got like I've got my picture taken with the physio. So. Yeah. It, well, it wasn't actually the physio. It was someone who was covering for the physio when the physio was ill yeah. uh, one day. But you know, like you can't take away these golden these golden moments that happen to you. But did yes, it would be fair to say that my career was struggling at Manchester United. Did you meet Alex Ferguson? Yeah, you... I met him. I met him many, many times. Did I once went to a whist drive that was happening oh. at his local Methodist Village Hall. Um, yeah, no, I did find him very stern. I mean, he really, really could shout at you but mm. there's a lighter side to him he's a, a renowned breeder of budgies budgerigars oh yeah and sometimes his half-time team talk would really just be him um showing you his budgies he, he had a sort of formica top table and because they couldn't really get any traction on the mm. table he just used to move them around you know like Sabutio you. or something yeah a bit like sort of budgie Sabutio. okay just to show you what you should be doing but it wasn't long then until you were shipped off from Manchester United to Stoke City. Yes, and that's quite, where quite literally, you I was actually I was next. actually shipped there. Um, oh, right. Bizarrely, yeah, I uh, went on the canal on a canal oh. barge that Tony Pulis had actually hired for some of the players to thank them for beating Wigan in an FA Cup replay. So I I boarded in Manchester. Mm. The, well, let's call it a party boat. And yeah, before I knew it, I was on my way to. Um, to Stoke. And so you scored 30, 35 goals in the first season? Yes, which was, which was, which was, for, yeah, a, for a bottom which half was, team was, oh, it was, it was absolutely of, really. astonishing. The local paper took a photo of me with uh, 35 footballs in a bag. Which was, you know, to celebrate each one of the, mm. each one of the, um, 35 goals. Mm. And I actually went to give them out in the town centre, you know, to, to children. And there was, I mean, it's still called the 35 ball Stoke riot because mm. so many people wanted one of these balls. You know, the, the police was called and, and I'm thinking the police are going to try and stop these kids getting to me, but the police are running off with the balls. You know, in the end, they had to get a, a local territorial, um, army unit to actually fire shots in the air mm. to calm Stoke down. And so it was all going well at Stoke, but obviously with this extra income and this extra publicity and fame it all started going wrong didn't it it did start going very very badly wrong i made a lot of bad business decisions mm. really i was investing in things left right and center without really properly knowing what they were i was uh i had big celebrity mates at the time i was friendly with simon gregson who plays steve on coronation street oh, yeah. he was like oh I'm, I'm i'm buying a share in a korean toilet roll factory oh i'm in 35 grand mm. you know there and then never see it again mm. never see it again but i strangely i lost an awful lot of money i invested in a, a chain of tapas restaurants okay that went Badly, badly wrong. Were you a fan of Spanish cuisine before you well, started? Well, I wasn't. So I was. I'd gone out in Manchester with my wife Davina, mm-hmm. and she took me to this place. She says tapas. I said that's um, never heard of it, and so I went and I ordered uh, sausages. And when they came, they were just like two little chipolatas. Like that was it. Just mm. with like a bit of honey. Oh, don't get me wrong, they were nice, but like six ninety nine, mm. too tiny cocktail sausages and then it was explained to me by uh, a waiter staff when I raised the alarm that basically you had to buy a number of small dishes to make up your meal and I totted this up and I thought hang on if I buy enough to feed me 
I'm talking like thirty-five, forty pounds. And so you thought there was money to be I made. I thought there was money to be made. So I had a chain of tapas restaurants that was basically like your classic English breakfast, mm. but you had to buy each bit, all separate. the individual I bits. See, so right. if you didn't like hash browns, you mm. could maybe buy, you know, more eggs or mm. whatever. Um, and it was it was called Mac Tapas, partly to cash in on the fame of McDonald's, but partly because I persuaded Ali McCoist to buy a small share in the business. But basically, yeah, your cut breakfast was coming in at, I mean, minimum £20. And I think my mistake was to open next to a very popular Stoke Greasy Spoon, where at the time a full breakfast with toast was £3.50. And I was always, even with my fame as a footballer, I was always going to find it tough. And obviously, eating there every day personally to try and get people in there. And to push your profits. Push my profits up, I... I got very fat. And so what age did you declare yourself bankrupt? Well, that's a uh, that's a, a tricky thing because I actually went to a bankruptcy hearing to declare myself bankrupt, but I didn't really know how to do it. Mm. I didn't really know whether I just whether I said it or what. So I left on the understanding that I'd declared myself bankrupt, but apparently legally I hadn't. So I would say if you are declaring yourself bankrupt, make sure you do it properly. Yeah. I mean, I'd heard some tale from someone in the pub um, that you could just go, if you went and stood in like your local town square and shouted, I'm bankrupt, I'm bankrupt, I'm bankrupt, three times you were bankrupt and you mm. didn't have to pay any money back. But that was a tall tale. And uh, sorry, in answer to your question, I think I was about 23. And so... After the bankruptcy, you concentrated on your football again, managed to leave your personal problems behind, and you went from strength to strength. You say left it behind, but it's funny, you know, even, I think this is true of any footballer. I know I remember talking to Gary McSheffrey uh, mm. about it, and he said, you, you're, you're bang on the money there. But you can't just leave everything behind. You know, you're like, oh, have I bought some biscuits? Yeah. Oh, did I bleed that radiator? Oh, when's my house insurance due? You know, so, even out on the pitch while you're yeah, playing. even out on the pitch. So I think there was still some anger about mm. the bankruptcy that came through in my play. And I mean, I don't know if you remember the the game for Stoke where I got sent off three times. Well, it's it's infamous, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was. Yeah. What's your version of the events of that? Day? My version of the events of that day is the first initial straight red um, was absolutely fair enough. I yeah. went in for a, a tackle. It was horrific. You know, yeah. yeah, both feet up. And to make matters worse, I actually made a sort of little rocket noise mm. as I did it. Well, you, know, you, know, yeah. Yeah. you know, as I did it. So no no problems with that. Went in mm. and uh, got a shower. But then Tony Pulis had a very clever idea that why didn't I come on instead of Danny Pugh? in the second half, just dressed a bit like Danny Pugh. And, you know, Danny Pugh's got sort of curly hair. Right? Yeah. At the time, I had a shaved head. So I just put like a little uh, curly wig on and went on. And uh, again, a second a second red card. You know, we were down to, we were down to nine men. Um, but Tony was really keen to see my talents out on the field. And that's perhaps the most infamous of the three red cards when mm. I, I went on uh, disguised as Kenwyn Jones, mm. which I think was... Was a mistake, though. Kenwin himself said that the uh, the disguise w- was excellent. Directly because of that, you went to jail. Yes, yes, I I did, and um, yeah, legally, I've got to say that because mm. that's well, what, yeah, it, what, what happened. What, what happened yeah. Yeah. It, was it difficult for a professional footballer? You'd you'd been in prison before for previous stints. Yes, in your... yes, I'd had two short spells uh, in prison, which I suppose were almost like. Um, 
like starters, right. you know, like nibbles, yeah. nibbles and a starter before the main, the main course tapas. of the tapas indeed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first time was for a bad tackle. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I said to a judge, like, it's a, it's a bad tackle and they happen. And he said, uh, you know, Mr. Ellis, they do. But the difference is that tackle wasn't on the football pitch. And he was right. I had tackled a man in a branch of, of carpet, right? Mm. Because I believed that he was having an affair with my wife. And, and it was he? he oh, wasn't. Okay. He just looked remarkably like the man who did, you know, to a point where I, su- I suspected they were possibly brothers. Mm. Though again, apparently they weren't. And the, the second short spell in prison was, was actually for bad tackle. As I say, I invested very unwisely in some businesses and I'd set up a, 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 a fishing supply um, shop with Ronnie Warwick, the West Brom striker. And I was selling illegal fishing baits. Ronnie talked me into it. He said they were maggots, but it turned out it was just brightly coloured basmati rice that we were selling. And I didn't realise it's actually a, a, it's called the Fishing Supplies Act 1960. I didn't know what I was doing was a crime, but now I do. And if you look at my neck, one of the tattoos on my neck says Fishing Supplies Act 1960. And that's just to remind me, you yeah, know, of, of, of that did. time. Yeah. Is it difficult for a professional footballer in prison? I'm, you must, it's, everyone yes, knows who you it's, are. It's very, it's very hard. Did you times. play for the prison team? I, I did. I did very, very briefly. But, um, because I was considered so good at football, I had to wear sort of some leg irons to slow me down mm. just so it was equal. Because, uh, you know, one of the first games we, we actually played the, the screws, you know, we won sort of 28-0 and they said, Ellis, you're too good. You've got to wear these. I mean, they were like something from the 19th century, these leg irons, but they'd actually had them made specially. They weren't just some old ones they'd had lying around. But, uh, yeah, you, you walk in to prison as a footballer and, you know, some, some people recognize you. And the rest, you know, swiftly learn who you are, mm. even though they look at you blankly as though they don't know. Like, mm. they do. They do know who you are, yeah, for sure. And so, after prison, you obviously struggled to get your career back on track. And so, this was when you started moving into management. Yes, I did. Initially, I was managing a few youth sides, and I was very, very successful there. I could really get results with promising young men. How young are we talking? Um... Initially, sort of schoolboys, but then, you know, under 19s, under 20s. And my success there was really all down to the fact to have a very, very bad memory. All these kids sort of look quite similar. Mm. So I'd say, you, thing, pass over there to thing and take it that way, I think. And because they're just kids, they were going to do what they wanted to anyway. Mm. But my coaching gave them the confidence to do that. They just thought, oh, I'm doing what I would have done anyway. Mm. But that's exactly what my manager wants. Positive reinforcement. So they were certainly playing with a smile on their faces if they weren't always getting the results that perhaps I think that they deserved. But on the back of this success, when I started managing non-league and lower league clubs, I found that really you've got to be much more specific. Mm. You've actually got to say a player's name and tell him who to pass to and tell him where to put the ball. And mm. my, you know, pass thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, you know, it, it didn't really cut the cut the mustard. Wait. I think I would have had much more success going abroad, where at least, if at least not knowing the language, mm. they could have just said, ah, he's English, he doesn't speak Jamaican, you know. Well, it took you 10 years to complete your coaching badges. It did, and that was a, a, a record 
they actually brought back a uh, an edition of the BBC series Record Breakers locally um, in the Staffordshire area. Um, just they got Cheryl Baker to do it, just to give me a certificate, saying I'd finally I'd finally done it. With high hopes that a local fireworks firm would pay for. I mean, maybe just some small bangers, even some sparklers. But they uh, they dropped out at the last minute, so it wasn't quite the big spectacle that we were all hoping for. So why did you bring your management career to an end? It wasn't so much that I brought it to an end, it's that other people told me to stop, really. Right. And those people were, were called the FA. That's what they call themselves. Basically, I found a number of very interesting loopholes in the game. Loopholes the FA had not acknowledged and sought immediately to close. But until they did, I was going to carry on doing them. I found out, for example, that there's no law that says that the opposition dug out needs to be anywhere near your dugout and near the pitch. So I would often move the uh, opposing team dugout up to 10, 15 miles away so their management couldn't shout at their mm. players. It's um, not sporting, though, is it? Can you see why they were... Well, you say that, but, you know, I, for example, cut off the hot water supply to the opposing team dressing room. Mm. If it doesn't say in the rules that you can't do that, yeah. who's to stop you? I think hot water's a luxury. Mm. You know, Ryan Giggs, Ryan Giggs, he told me that. He, I know for a fact Ryan Giggs doesn't even have the hot water on in his house. He's Welsh. But you ended up losing every game that season, so it, I think, it wasn't helping. You know, all the time you yeah, spent coming think, up with blueprints of where you're going to stick there and, and this and that. I think I got too obsessed with it. Yeah, and I took my eye off the ball. Mm. And I think my my time in prison made me realise that young men who are paid money to play football are the luckiest people in the world. When I came out of prison, I wanted to remind them of that, even to the effect that I actually built a small series of cells you know, at, at, at our training ground and we'll put players in cells. And, and once the, the, you know, the PFA, the Footballers Union, got involved, like, I, I was very unpopular. You know, people would point at me in the street and they'd say, you're that bloke who locks young boys up. You know, that's not nice to hear, but yeah. it was actually true. Mm. So what does the future hold for Gary Ellis? What are you up to now? Gary Ellis has uh, set up his own charity, as it happens. Okay, okay, yeah. fantastic. Who's called, what are you supporting? It's called Pink Goalposts. Okay. Um, and it's not as some people think about painting goalposts pink no. to aid visibility in, in murky mm. conditions, that that would actually be yeah, very useful. you have done that in the In the, the winter, yes, yeah. I, I have, certainly. Mm. Um, no, Pink Goalposts is about encouraging young gay footballers to, to come out. Oh, because that's I feel I feel that there hasn't really been any gay footballers. Well, that's a really worthy cause. I, for one, am curious. I'm very curious to know if there are gay footballers. So, how, Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, that's... how Pink Goalposts works is it's effectively a sum of money that it's nearly hit £400, actually, um, that basically if a footballer comes out as gay, uh, they get it. They get the sum of money. Right. All, all footballers or just, just the first footballer? Just or... the first. It's like, uh, you know, like bingo. Like if you say bingo, uh, you get the money. If actually you've got a full house, you know. But, but that, that's not really a charity. It's more like a competition of just if a gay footballer comes out, he wins £400. Is that a charity? Look, I mean, I'll get in trouble here, but mm. there are big rumours that have dogged a number of 
top footballers. I mean, I don't really want to name names, okay, but I have I, it on, I, I really would suggest okay, you don't as well. I, I won't, it's... I won't, but I have it on good authority that a player... Who, well, don't just, say their name. Yeah, okay, well, okay. let's just call him Jobby Trowler, and he used to play for a team called River School. Yeah, so I'm not... No one's going to get that, are they? No, you'd have to be Stephen Hawking to get that. No one will get that. So, um, yeah, I've got on good authority that, that he's gay. A friend of mine saw him riding a bike and was like, oh, he's, he's gay. Okay. Uh, and so if Robbie Fowler does, if, uh, if, um, Jobby Trowler, I'll edit, I'll edit that. If, yeah. if, if Jobby Trowler does come out as gay. Yeah. You give him the £400 and then the charity just dissolves, does it? You just close it down? Well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I mean, we could always just go back to painting goalpost pink, you know, if any other money comes back in. Gary Ellis, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been so, so lovely. It's been an absolute um, pleasure to, having to, you. To, to have it's me. Been, uh, maybe we could go out for a, you know, a, a Chinese or something well, after this. I, I ate before I came on okay. the show. but Just before we go... Can yep. I just say I am fronting a... We are at the end. Okay, well, I'm just very quickly, I am Running fronting a campaign. Time. It's it's called the Safe Crane Campaign, and okay. it's to urge builders to be very uh, responsible with cranes. Okay, we really are running out okay, of time, well, I, but... I have the number to, if you see a crane... Um, my producer's just saying... Unsafe. Saying, please... Turn it down. Do ring. She's, she's, oh, she's pulling the favours eight. down. Oh, she's honestly going. Oh, we really don't have time. Four, she's, the fade is going out. Gary. Thank you so one, much. Thanks. Triple eight, See you next. See you two, soon. See you on the next show. Five. Well, not you, Gary, but bye, bye. bye.